Well, good morning. Um, welcome everyone this morning. It is, uh, you know, the first Sunday in December, our second uh, day of, of celebrating Advent and looking forward to the celebration of the, the coming of our Savior as a baby Jesus. And, and this morning, I've asked Matt Henry to share with us our scripture of the morning, which is Luke uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 26 through 38. And uh, go ahead and, and share that with us right now, Matt. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. So you might want to keep your fingers in that passage. If you've got a Bible this morning, if you don't have one, there's, um, there's one out on the table there. It can be yours to take home um, if you want. But lots going on in that passage. Very familiar passage as we approach the, the Christmas season. And everything from a message from God through an angel. That alone is noteworthy, Right? Especially in the sense, as we know from, from studying Malachi, that there'd been a, a, a big pause of 400 years that had just been broken free, and Mary wasn't even aware of it yet. We've got the specification by the angel of who that message was to, to Mary. We have the content of that message and what it meant for humanity, what it meant for every single person on earth. And then we have what sometimes might be overlooked is the impact to Mary, this young girl. Um, some people think that she's in her teens of what this would mean. She's, she's looking forward to a life. She's got a, a fiancé, a plan for marriage. No doubt a confidence in her provision, her protection, and now, this message is that she's going to be pregnant, and she hasn't been with her guy. What is that going to mean for her? And, and then, beyond that, her response. How did she handle all this as this young girl? There's so much that we could unpack, unpack here, and and it's in such a familiar season as we go into, we hear 
this passage read, and we look at its content, and it's almost as though we just, at times, breeze past it, because it's just a part of this overall story. But this morning, I want to hone in and recognize its importance on a number of levels. And so, to start, I want to ask that we're going to take about 30 seconds, and whether you've heard this passage a hundred or a thousand times, or you've never heard it before, now you've heard it once, I want you to share with the person next to you what impresses you most about Mary. All right? So what impresses you most about Mary? So, so take the next you know, few seconds and just share what impresses you most about Mary. <laughs> All right. Any any quick volunteers to share something that you that you came up with? We were we were talking over here that Mary wasn't afraid, even though she was a little kid, um, kind of a little kid. It seemed like I mean a, a young gal. Anyway, um, any other comments about what impresses you about Mary? The practicality. Her question was, "How can this be?" She was just a little bit uncertain. Anybody else? Her ultimate acceptance of it. I am a servant of the Lord. Have it be done to me. Any others? I, I, I am so impressed with Mary. I am, um, it's just something that I, I'm, I'm amazed. The interruption in her life. How many of us have interruptions in our lives that as, as 20-year-olds, as 30-year-olds, as all the way up, it's like we have interruptions in our lives that are unexpected. And when that happens in my life, I'm not sure I handle them like Mary did. I mean, that was pretty, pretty remarkable. And there is certainly a whole lot that we can take from Mary's example in this passage. And um, there's a time to do that, but it's not this morning <laughs> because... Mary is not the crux of the matter here. And while she was impressive in her faith, she was impressive in her response, and she plays a critical role in our redemptive story, in, in the redemptive story, she is not the star of this show. And we, um, and we can be amazed by that, and we need to be convinced of that. So there's, there's two questions. There's two questions that we want to bring to the forefront this morning. And because Mary's not the star of the show, the question is, who is the star of the show? And the star of the show is this baby. 
And so the questions become is, is this baby God? And kind of another question on the, on the other side of the same coin is, can he forgive sin? So we're going to keep coming back to that this morning. Is he God and can he forgive sin? Because these, this, these are questions that are central to the narrative of the gospel. They're similar to the question of, as, as we read in the, the crucifixion and resurrection story, did Jesus really die? And then did he really rise again? These are, these are core principles to the Christian faith. We have to know that Jesus really died. Because if he didn't really die, then he didn't really was not really resurrected, and that matters. That has huge implications. And of course, we absolutely do believe that he died, and we absolutely do believe that all the evidence points towards his resurrection, and that today he is preparing a place for us in paradise, and that is why we can anticipate his second coming, even though today we stand here in anticipation and celebration of his, or our celebration of his first coming as baby Jesus. But before all of that can happen, we have to answer these questions of, is this baby God, and can this person forgive sins? So before we start, let's go ahead and say a quick word of prayer to have the Lord lead us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this season of the year that we enhance with, with decorations and lights and, and gifts. Um, and we just ask for your leadership that none of that should get in the way of the true meaning and the true central core of this message of our Savior's. Arrival. So we just ask that you'd guide my words and that, that you would be our messenger this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to have everyone raise their hand and keep it raised until you don't fall into a category that I mention. All right? So hands up. That's everyone. I'm not seeing all the hands. There we go. I'm seeing hands go up in the air back there. Okay. Um, Woke up in Ohio this morning. Ooh, I, thought, I thought we might have some, somebody that traveled in this morning. All right. We've got uh, married. Okay, a few, um, a few, a few dropped out. <laughs> We've got a women. Yep, okay, yep, women, keep your, keep your hand. Married, married women that woke up in Ohio, keep your hands up. <laughs> <laughs> if you're between the ages of 25 and 32, okay, we're, we're narrowing, it, narrowing it down pretty good there. Brown hair, brown hair, okay. Uh, Emily's debating what color her hair is over here. <laughs> and you're... Uh, sh uh, the, the top you're wearing is primarily not white. Oh, we got, we're narrowed down to two. So we're, we're going to leave it at two because we, we went from sort of the, you guys put your hands down. We, we went sort of from the, from the universe of kind of everyone um, waking up in Ohio to that. That probably narrows it down. I don't know, 15 million people or so had we been able to extend that, uh, that test outside of this room. Um, and we narrowed it down because 
you're only hearing me, I didn't say it, but it's only people that were in this room that had their hands up. So we're narrowing it down from 15 million people down to, we got down to two in only, what, five or six questions? And so we took this funnel approach to specifying down to just a couple of people. And so as we answer this first question of, is this anticipated baby God? Scripture does a very similar funneling to point towards this baby. And so we're going to cover that uh, um, in, some, in some detail here over the next few minutes. And the Bible specifically point towards baby Jesus specifically in about three different general ways. The first way is that it does it, and specifically through the Old Testament and the anticipation and foreshadowing of this child through Scripture and specifically Old Testament Scripture. And so the first way that the Bible points toward Jesus is through its foreshadowing of fan, through family lineage. All right? And so um, I'm going to be going through several passages of Scripture. Most of them are going to be showing up on the screen, so it's probably easier for you just to look on the screen for those. And then I will be... Um, going back to that Luke chapter 1 passage. And so if there's a spot in your Bible you want to hang on to, it's the Luke, because I'm going to be bouncing back and forth, but the ones on the screen will be very applicable. But we're going back and, and uh, kind of uh, our, our baseline point is going to be Luke chapter 1. So the first example of, of Old Testament pointing towards Jesus through family lineage is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And this is actually a, a, a conversation with uh, Abraham after he had come off the mountain where he had taken his son Isaac up to the mountain and laid him out as a sacrifice and came to the point of almost killing Isaac. And so uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18 uh, says this, and I'll start in 17, actually. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here we have God's, God's direction and his foreshadowing his anticipation based on Abraham's great faith in being willing to sacrifice his son, that he would have a great people and that a great uh, Savior would come through his offspring that would bless all the nations of the earth. Next passage that, that points towards um, points towards our Savior is Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And this is the, the prophet Balaam. And he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so here is clear direction that the Savior will come through the line of Abraham and then the line of his grandson Jacob. The next indication that jumps us forward a few generations is in um, Isaiah chapter 11, where Isaiah, prophet Isaiah says this in, in verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And, and then in a, um, in a most convincing and extensive discussion in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 and 6, the prophet says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord of our righteousness. And so with, with these passages, the Old Testament funnels down this path towards a Savior to this point of line of David. We will we will see a Savior coming through King David's line. And so there's still a lot of people that, that come out of David's line, but it is, a, it is a very clear path towards our Savior at this point. So that's our family lineage pathway. And now let's go towards a, a second path. A second pathway is through location. Now there's not as many of those, but... There is one particular one in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that says, uh, that says this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so here you bring this funnel down to kind of this point where you still got, you know, probably millions of people that came out of the line of, of David. But then all of a sudden, this passage says, from Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this, is this one-horse town. It's, it's a tiny, tiny village. And so we've just narrowed down this qualification, this, this source of a savior to an incredibly small number of people when you compare it to the, to the population of the world, for instance, at that time. You've narrowed it down a long, long ways. There's some other location references of com Jesus coming out of Egypt. Both references can be referred to him actually being of the line of, of Jacob, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt um, by Moses. Then also when, when Jesus was a young child, his family was escaped to Egypt and then came back when it was safe. And so there's also those two indications of the, the location uh, source or location lineage of Jesus as well. And so the third way that the Old Testament points towards Jesus is, is in the details. The details and the role of our Savior. And so as we, as we look at those, um, a couple jump off the page. One is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so as you jump back then into Luke chapter 1, 
You see in verse 27, the angel of the Lord saying to a virgin betrothed to a man, and then clarifies that the virgin's name was Mary. And then a few verses down, that Mary herself says, I, uh, how will this be since I am a virgin? And specifically, you know, speaking of Mary being a, a virgin who the angel is visiting in the locality of where Bethlehem is in relation to Nazareth. This is narrowing it down very, very close. And then we have in 2 Samuel, uh, we have in 2 Samuel, 12, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. It says this, When your days are fulfilled, and this is speaking to, to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And again, jump back to Luke chapter 1, and in verse 30, 32 and 33, it describes Jesus. It says as he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then the passage that we've already heard this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us... A child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again, the, the refrain in verse 32 of Jesus being great and being called the Son of the Most High with, with um, the encore back to the term Mighty God. Everlasting Father, to the, to the description of Jesus as Lord, the Lord God giving him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in verse 7 of Isaiah, it says, On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This, this narrowing of the, of, the, of the funnel towards this person, this baby that would arrive in this very specific place to a very specific person is, is overwhelming in its com compelling nature of the evidence towards this, the, the foreshadowing that was completed in Matthew chapter 1, there's a lineage, a genealogy of Jesus 
from Mary's side of the family, and it takes it all the way back from through Abraham, through Jacob, through Jesse, who's David's father, through David, and all the way down to where Mary comes to be. The other, the other passage in, in Luke chapter 2, where there's another lineage, and it is uh, the lineage of the, of the uh, other side of, of Jesus's uh, adopted family. And it shows, again, that Joseph was brought through and his family runs through Abraham. It runs through Jacob. It runs through, uh, through Jesse. It runs through David all the way down to him. It's a very specific funnel, very specific identification of our Savior. And the, the uh, combination of these aspects, family lineage, location, and specific role in him pointing out conclusively demonstrates that, yes, he is the anticipated, predicted son of God. This, this baby that came to earth, both fully God and fully man. I want you to imagine for a minute a, a situation in our current time. Imagine that in Indianapolis, some ancient scrolls are uncovered, which were written 600 to 1,000 years ago. Some were written, some of these, therefore, were written before the discovery of America. And they're all written before the American Revolution. These scrolls predict that someone in our generation, right now, 2021, Someone in our generation will be born who is of the direct lineage of George Washington. Everybody know George Washington? Familiar to us, right? This person would be descended from a long line of important founders of America, all of whom were known to be from Virginia. That's kind of the area where, where our country was, was born. The scrolls further reveal that the person would be born in Fairfield County, Ohio, in the town of Lithopolis. Miraculously, his mother would be a virgin. At the time of his birth, dignitaries from other countries would mysteriously know about him and would come to worship him and present him with precious gifts, believing he was a special envoy from God. This future child would grow up to lead a religious revolution. Now imagine that all of this came true. <clears throat> that these scrolls was, that were 600 to 1,000 years old, describing the situation in Lithopolis, all came true. Fulfilling the predictions of these centuries-old scrolls. This would be, the probability against the, for, for this would be just minuscule. Minuscule. So unlikely, and this, the creation, preservation, and fulfillment of these written prophecies would be so minuscule. But that is a similar situation as to what would have happened in the first century describing the events surrounding Jesus' birth. That was a, a, a blog writing by Dr. David Teitelbaum with the locations changed for accuracy. 
But ultimately, to answer our first question, the answer is we believe firmly through the the evidence provided for us in the God-breathed scriptures that points towards Jesus, baby Jesus, being God. So we come to our second question. Again, a, a flipping of the same side, this other side of the same coin. It's like, was he God and is he able to forgive sin? So, so to ask and answer that question, we have to kind of know, well, what's the requirement? What's the requirement to forgive sin? Can anyone do it? No, no, you've got specific qualifications for being able to forgive sin. To do that, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. There, Paul says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness, get that word, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He sent his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh. He actually says it maybe a little more simply and a little more clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To forgive sin, Jesus needed to be separated from sin needed to be without sin, without blemish, without the stain of sin. Our Savior needed to be free from sort of your typical day-to-day sin that, that we all are tempted into and commit from time to time. But he also needed to be separated and free from the original sin which occurred by Adam at the fall in the Garden of Eden so long ago. He had to be untouched by those sins. So that made for a very specific requirement that that none of us and none of the other people in that day could possibly meet. And so does the baby meet that requirement? That's a question at hand. And so there's really only... A couple of, well, there are a couple of ways that our minds sort of imagine how that could happen. For Jesus to be uh, free from that stain of sin, because he came from, he came from his mother's womb. So he, he was connected with, with Mary at some level. Um, and, and so there's only a couple of ways. So you've got, if Jesus is to be free from that stain of original sin from Adam, which comes through all of our parents, the possibilities are that, A, Mary didn't have sin. That would be a logical possibility. Or the other possibility would be that, well, let's start with the first one. First one is that Mary was the thought original sin. Now, so who has heard of the term 
immaculate conception. It's a term that I, I've actually been confused by over the years. And so it's a, a term that, and it, it's a term that describes actually it does not have to do with the conception of Jesus. It is a, a teaching and a term that the, the Roman Catholic Church uses to deal with this issue of Jesus not being able to be connected to the original sin of Adam. And it is taught in that context that, that Mary, at the conception when she was an unborn baby, that is where this term comes in, where, where Mary was separated from original sin, providing means for Jesus then to remain the st- free from the stain of sin. There's, there's not biblical evidence or suggestion for that reality. And we'll, we'll get to a more clear, uh, more clear description of that in a minute. But that is, that is not how Jesus remains separated uh, from sin, and it certainly does not have biblical evidence. The second way, thankfully, we can know this is because Gabriel apparently thought it was important too, because he provided us that answer in the in the answer to Mary's question, Mary said, how will this be? I haven't been with my fiance. And to answer that question, we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. And so when Mary asked the question, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her. It's a critical answer to our walk with the Lord and answering this very, very important question to our redemption. He says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. The Holy Spirit is taking care of the conception of of this baby. And that allows this child to be free from the stain of sin, to be free from the blemish of Adam's original sin, to separate him from that scar that we all have. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. How? That's God's side of the ledger, folks. It's God's side of the ledger. He he did it, and the angel Gabriel spoke God's words to us in that moment that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. It conjures up this picture of, 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 of the Spirit of God overshadowing the temple when he brought his, his presence into the, the context of the people throughout the course of the journeys in the nation of Israel. And so somehow the manifestation of the, of the Spirit of the God there in that young lady was our Savior conceived. And the angel said that he would be holy. Meaning, of course, free from that stain of sin. Which brings us to the conclusion of that second question of, is this baby able to forgive sin? Yes, yes, praise God, yes. And if we needed any more evidence, we can shift over 
to Matthew chapter 1, where, where actually the angel is speaking to Joseph just after the angel visits Mary. And in ver- chapter 1, verse 20, or verse, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, says this, But as he considered these things, uh, Joseph, that is, uh, taking a deep breath, (laughs) the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Praise God. Praise God. Jesus saves people and is able to save people from their sins. So, you know, as we, as we kind of wind down here this morning, we spoke of Mary earlier on. And we, at least I'm impressed by her, and I'm sure many of you, as we heard from a few, are impressed by her as a young lady, as a, a person who was quick to obey, who was quick to have a, just a, um, a really patient receipt of this rather shocking news. And so you, you can't help but think that she was just mature behind her years, both, um, both in just her approach to life and perhaps even her walk with the Lord, her, her faith in God. And so I'm kind of curious what she thought. And she was the one carrying this baby, right? And so you have to wonder, what did she think? Well, um, again, by the grace of God and by the detailed uh, record that Luke, the author of this book, keeps and the interviews that he did and the description that he provided, we actually know. Because she, after Mary talked with Gabriel and she became content with what was going to happen to her, she went off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who had just also gotten this pretty shocking news, maybe even more shocking given her age, that she was going to be pregnant. And so she journeys off and visits with Elizabeth. And while she's there, she uh, writes or says or sings or whatever. It ended up in scripture, a song. And the very first passage of that song in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Did Mary think and believe that this baby could save from sin? You bet she did. Did Mary recognize that she also needed a Savior? Better believe she did. She was recognizing that she was carrying her God and her Savior. And as a a first-person testimony, as a a young lady who just had an interaction with Gabriel, who was speaking the words of our Creator, God, her reaction was to worship her God and Savior. 
praise God that we've got that record of her faithfulness, that record of her response to this incredible news. Because the, the ability of that baby to grow up as a man to live a life that did not include sin, to remain free from that stain of sin, both the original sin that he was free from because of that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit taking care of the conception at his birth or before he was born. And then for him to go on and live a life free from, even though fully tempted and fully tempted into the sins that we succumb to, he didn't. Keeping his ability to go to that cross, to shed his blood, and to pay that debt that we could never have paid, that we could done, have done nothing to do to pay. And so to answer these questions, as the Old Testament gives us clear direction of where that baby would come. And then we've got the, the evidence of, of how Jesus was able to forgive sins and the qualifications for that. We are in awe of him today. And my prayer for us is that, that we're surrendered to the Lord, like Mary was. She was, I hesitate to say she was just a young girl, because ultimately she, was, she was, had the honor of carrying our Savior. But at the end of the day, she was a sinner in need of a Savior and had the privilege of carrying him. And so my hope and my prayer today is that we, as a church, that we would, would together, that our celebration of Christmas is unapologetically a celebration of the gospel. The arrival of this baby, fully man, fully God baby, that's called the Son of God, came to us via this miraculous conception within a virgin. And he was destined and qualified to become our Savior and then ultimately go to the cross. And so I pray because we've all sinned and we all, every single one of us in this room needs a savior. And I just pray that today would be the day that, that each of us, if we haven't done it before, that we bow our knee at the feet of King Jesus who came to us. And that we spend this Christmas season recognizing the work that he grew up to do at the cross. His blood was shed and he died. And three days later, he was resurrected from the dead so that he completed that redemptive process of, of forgiveness of sins. And today, we celebrate this first advent of him as a baby Jesus, but we're living in the reality expectantly, with hopeful expectation that he will return one day to receive his church and we will spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're just grateful for this, this time this morning. We're grateful 
for your word. We're grateful for the confidence that we have that this baby Jesus was fully God, fully man, that he was free from sin and that we worship him as Savior today. And so we thank you for that. We live in that great hope and we just pray that we can honor that with our obedience. We can honor that with our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.